Good morning and welcome to you again. I was talking to a very good friend of mine during this week and we were discussing everything that's been happening around the world. We were talking about the lockdown, how it's affecting people uh, mentally and also physically, how a lot of people has lost their jobs, the uncertainty of the future. And there's a lot of people out there who's talking about this. If you turn on the TV and you watch the news, if you go to YouTube, you get a lot of download, a lot of information. And while I was talking to my friend, it just dawned upon me that it's so easy during these times to, to lose direction, to get off on a tangent and to go on a sidetrack. It's so easy to listen to others that you shouldn't listen to. It is so easy to, be, to, to, to become afraid during these times. And in this conversation with my friend, I started to shift the conversation towards the word. Because there's one thing that really came upon my mind, and that is that we as children of God, we should focus on one constant we have. As the world around us is changing, at a very, very fast pace, we should hang on and hold on to the one thing that is our rock and our salvation. Now, I know it is very difficult for some people to believe this. If it's not something tangible that you can hang on to or that you can see or that you can, you, you, you can just grab onto because it is done by faith. And as I've read so many times over the years, it is true that faith is not true faith if it's not tested. So in this conversation, I started moving towards that. And I, I said to this friend of mine that we should use the word of God as our direction, as our compass during this time. And not to let our ear out too many times to so many different voices that's coming around. There is deceit in the world. You're going to have that. The Bible is talking about that. And we know that prophecy has come to fruition in front of your eyes. But dear friend, brother and sister, we need to hang on and hold on to the one who gives us direction. And there's none other that I can tell you about than Jesus Christ. He came to this earth for this very reason. To come and save us from the penalty of sin. But not only that, but to protect us and guide us as his children. And this is why when I preach every Sunday, I return to the word of God. I want to hang on to the word of God like a light in the darkest night during these times. This is why I continue to go through the Bible verse by verse. Why I continue preaching on through the Gospel of Mark, where we started before all of this happened. Because if there's one thing that I know, and that is that the Word of God is sure, it is truth, and it's correct. So today I want to continue again by following Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. We follow Him step by step. And then we see how he react about things coming upon his way. And we learn by that the constant message from Jesus all along is he's looking up to the Father for his strength, 
for his guidance and for his direction. I recall in Isaiah chapter 28 verse 13, so many people ask me, why do you preach the, through the word verse by verse? Why don't you, do, why don't you take a world vision or a world view of the Bible and preach that? I want to preach to you the word of God. And I base it on Isaiah 28, 13, which says, But the word of the Lord was to them, the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. Now, I know I've taken the scripture verse out of context, but I want to make a point here. And that is that I will continue to preach the word during these times. Because that is the one thing that's constant. And today we're going to talk about why people enjoy false worship. And we see so much around us. In fact, even in this discussion with my friend, I started to think that a lot of the people that we were talking about is doing false worship. They are following Either another man, another idea, ideologies, or whatever it is, but not the Word of God. I've heard so many times in my life uh, during uh, preaching the Word of God that people quote so many times other people, but they do not quote the Word of God. And here Isaiah says to us, it's going to be precept upon precept. You build one block upon the other and another block upon the other. One line, another line. And then, my brothers and sisters, here a little and there a little, to do what? So that your and my faith can be built, so that it may last during these times. So today, as we continue through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to look at why people enjoy false worship. And we do this by following Jesus through this Gospel. We see Jesus, God's servant, who's doing God's will. And by doing God's will, he comes into certain circumstances and we see his reaction to that circumstance. And then we learn by that so that when we come into that very same circumstance, that we can take Jesus as our guideline, as our plumb line, as our direction, how to deal with that circumstance. And today we will see him dealing with false worship and how it happened. So let's go to the narrative. Mark chapter 7. We kick off chapter 7 today and we're in verse 1. It says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. This is very serious people. Okay, So each village had its own Pharisee. But when the, when, when the big weeks come from Jerusalem, now it's serious. Okay, So it says, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. No wonder. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they have washed their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Holding the tradition of the elders. Park that in your mind for a moment. So they hold this. Verse 4, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. 
And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Now, first of all, this was not the washing of the hands for hygiene purposes. It wasn't because their hands were dirty. They walked in the, in the mud or they grabbed something or they spilled something. It wasn't because their hands were dirty that they had to wash it. This year was a ceremonial exercise that they had to do every single time. And it says in our scripture verses there, when they come from the marketplace, this is in verse 4, they go in and they wash their hands. Every single time they go to the marketplace, they come back, they wash their hands. Not only their hands, but their feet also. This was a common tradition to them. You recall with the wedding in Tekana, when Jesus went into the house, at the door, the front door, there's these big drums of water. It was for that very purpose. That they had to come into the house, wash their feet, that's the dust of their feet, and wash their hands. Hygienically, but then also before they eat, it is a spiritual washing. It is a ceremonial washing that they did. And they got this. This comes from Exodus. And I want to take you along this way. Because, you know, we are dealing with people who is enjoying false worship. And this, this here sounds very noble. But you will see shortly now when Jesus is going to react that this is vain. It is false. It comes to nothing. But I want to take you now back to the Old Testament to show you how we came to this. And we go to Exodus chapter 30 verse 17. Exodus 30, 17, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze with its base also bronze for washing. Okay, this is in Exodus, Old, Old Testament. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. Tabernacle of meeting, bronze, the altar. Okay, put it in your mind, sequence running there. And you shall put water in it. And verse 19, for Aaron, now who's Aaron? He was the high priest, okay? For Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. So God put this in place in the temple between the gathering bronze and the altar. That's where the washing had to take place in the temple, okay? And then he says in verse 20, when they go into the tabernacle of meeting and when they come near the altar to minister to burn an offering made by the fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So they shall wash their hands, their feet, lest they die. Why? Because we are serving a holy God. And this was instituted there. Listen, listen, this was instituted by God. Between the gathering, there was a washing before they go into the presence of God, into that area of God. Now it says in verse 21, Exodus 30, 21 now, 
so they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. And it shall be a statue forever to them, to who? To the priests. It shall be a statute forever to them. This is why, back in the Old Testament, it was in the tabernacle. When it came to the New Testament and Solomon built the temple, the priest had to do the same thing. Because it says there it shall be to them forever. To him and his descendants throughout their generations. To whom? To Aaron. Now I want you now to, to see this. This started as an obedience to God in the tabernacle. You see, behind this, this, this act here, the ceremonial act, is the truth in trust. And clean hands and feet represented a pure heart without no one enters the presence of God. So this was a representation of that. The washing of the hands and the feet showed the pureness towards God from the heart. Okay? So it was an outward extent they had to do to show the pureness of the heart. This was how it started, in obedience to God. Now what did they do? These men now took the symbol and made it a spiritual exercise. Pause a minute. Think about that. They took the symbol that God placed there. The bronze wash basin. Aaron the high priest coming and washing him and his sons their hands and feet to go into the altar. That was the symbol of a pure heart, of pureness coming in front of God. And what did these men do now? They changed it into a spiritual exercise. You had to do it now. But listen, it broadened out now to each and every Jew's house. And they added now more traditions to it. And they added more rules to this. So it grew now into a spiritual exercise, a ceremony. Okay, so can you see how it went from God looking for trust in the priests and looking for pureness in heart and the symbol, and now it is that exercise. Now, a spiritual exercise substituted the origin of what God intended. And you'll see the proof now when I, when I read further on. It substituted it now. The spiritual exercise now was more important than the means, which was what God instituted for the purity of heart to come before him. It was only a symbol, washing the hands and the feet back in the Old Testament. And it's now no longer a symbol and a sign of inward grace anymore. By the time Jesus is on the earth and walking around and these big weeks come from uh, the Pharisees and the scribes who knows the scriptures and who study them and hold them by, you know, by ritual truth and everything. By the time they come to Jesus, this is what it's evolved into, into. So this became a, a tradition to them. And all these traditions were written up in, in what is called the Misha. As where all these traditions, it's a list of the traditions of the elders. And in Jesus' day, the Misha was there. All of these rules and regulations and laws. And let me just say this. A tradition is one of the hardest things that you can break. It's one of the hardest. 
It takes a miracle from God to, to, to save you and break you through out of a tradition. Because how can you tell somebody that granddad and great-granddad and great-great-granddad was wrong? Because they held on a tradition. How can you tell that to somebody? How can you tell that to Johnny? He's going to say, but dad do it, did it. And dad's dad did it. It's one of the hardest things to break out from. This is why it is so tough for people in false religions to break free. Because of the traditions. Because of the traditions in their family members. This is why so many times it is so tough when you break out of it. Because the whole family is against you. They no longer hold on to the the core principle of God's word and God's worship, they hold on now onto what mom and dad did and great mom and great dad did and what my whole family is doing. That's what they hold on to. And when you dare to break out of that, they ridicule you. In many countries, they'll kill you because of the traditions, because it's against history. And it feels so good, so good to do tradition. We will get to that in a minute. Now, when he talks about washing hands here, let me just elaborate a little bit on that. There was a special way of washing hands there. You had to take your hand on the one side and put your fist into the hand. And then you wash the hand away from the body. And if you wash it away from the body, the water was not allowed to come and touch your body because it's unclean water. They would take water and throw it over your hand with a little bit of oil in there. And you take first of all your one fist and you roll it in your hand. Then you take the other fist and you roll it in your hand. And they take a second cup and they throw it and hold it far away from your body. So that that water, the defiled water, do not come onto your body. Because you would not know, it says there, it comes from the marketplace. You would not know that when you're in the marketplace and you bought something and they give you change, that a Gentile would have touched that money. And now you touch the money with your hands and your hands is defiled. You see where this is going? And, and then he talks about your pitchers and your cups and, and those things. And, and we know that some of them were made with clay. Now, if a fly should come and, and come and sit on one of your pitchers or your cups, on the outside, you would take the cup and you would again wash it away from your body on the outside so that you can purify the cup. But if a, if a fly comes and comes on the inside of the cup, that's it. Totally, you crush that cup. No, it can't be used again. You crush it totally and you... Get rid of every single piece of that. So this is the way that they had to do this. It is, it is all, of course, nonsense and it's ridiculous. This is not what God intended back in Exodus when he gave this institution to Aaron and his priestly sons. But this is what he came to. And that shows you when man's ideologies and man's ideas come and it changes the word of God. But don't, don't point the finger back to these people. Point the finger back to our age. I see it around us. I deal with people who's defending religions and churches who's doing stuff like this. So we see here it is a serious thing that happened 
traditions that came through and the traditions became a, a spiritual exercise. And this is what a lot of people are doing these days. Spiritual exercises. They just do an exercise. Just do it. Just go with the motion uh, and serve God like that. It's no wonder in times like this when, when, when the heat comes on that, that they, they wither away. No wonder. Because a spiritual exercise is not going to help you. The only one that's going to help you is Jesus Christ, your rock and your salvation. He's the only one that's going to help you. Not, not a little ceremonial exercise that you do or a church that you follow or a pastor that you follow. He's the only one. Not your tradition. So they asked Jesus in Matthew 7 verse 5. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked and they say, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Gotcha! That's what they thought. You see, all of these things is written up in the Misha, but not in the Word of God. And, and I love it when Jesus now reacts to him. He's brilliant. Listen to his answer. Uh, Mark 7 verse 6, he says, He answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Wow, that takes a brave man. They come with their rules and regulations and, and, and he goes straight. Where does he go? Not to the Misha. He goes to the Word. Now, in Jesus' day, they, he didn't have a Bible like we do. They had the Old Testament. So when he refers back to the, to, to the prophets, to the scriptures, it is in our day similar to the Bible. He answers them out of the word. He opens up the Bible and he says this. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Now the word hypocrite there, the, the meaning is, is, is an actor. A hypocrite is an actor. And you and I know what an actor do. If you watch a movie, that's not the real person. He plays the role of somebody else. That's what an actor is. And he says to these men, these Pharisees and these scribes, to come to him and ask this question. He says, you're a bunch of actors. The real you is not standing in front of me. You're acting on behalf of somebody else. You are defending somebody and something else. But let me continue. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written again, the Bible. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me. There's our title and our topic for today. Why people love uh, worship, uh, love to worship, uh, false worship. Uh, well, did uh, um, he says, and in vain they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. And, and man, I can just say, Amen, Jesus. Oh man, I can see so many other things people do in the name of Christianity. And in verse 9, he said to them, All too well you reject the commandments of God, that you may keep your tradition. I love Jesus' answer here. It is so poignant. It's so on the point. And Jesus says indirectly to them, you are worshipping in vain. He uses a scripture verse. 
he quotes the scripture verse, but through the scripture verse, he speaks to them. He says, you are hypocrites. You are actors. You are worshiping God in vain. <laughs> I wonder how you would feel if somebody says that in your face. Now, let me tell you why they enjoy worshiping in vain. And it's still the same today. To come back to our topic, why people enjoy to worship uh, uh, in vain. First of all, it makes you feel good and worthy. Think of this. If you do this rituals and these exercises, you've put something in and you feel good about yourself. You feel good. Listen to the worship these days. Listen to the worship in many churches. It's all about me. It's all about you and what you do. And oh man, it feels so good. It feels so good. I mean, I, I haven't been able to go to the gym now for six weeks. And I'm itching. I, I got out on my bike and I went for a few bike rides. But this is one thing that I know. If I go into the gym and I swim a few laps in the pool and I work out a bit and I sweat and I walk out of there, though I'm tired, man, I feel so good for I've achieved so much. A lot of people feel the same about serving God. They have to do something. They have to work something. They have to do a spiritual exercise. And for some people, it is just, you know, by observing a day. You know, for some people, if they observe the Sabbath, that for them feels like I've achieved something. And man, I feel good. It feels as if God is going to accept me now. It feels good and worthy. This is why people enjoy doing this. But it's all in vain. If Christ is not in it, it's all in vain. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't do any works. There is works that you do after the cross that benefits a lot. But this is not what it's talking about. This is holding on to the traditions and the laws and the rules of men. And this is why people enjoy it, because it makes you feel good and it makes you feel worthy. Secondly, you can see what you do and you can show it off. If you worship in vain, if you, if you do this, and people like to do this, man, if you stand there and people look at you and you let the tears run over your eyes and you do and you hop, skip and jump, you know, you can see what you do and hey, people would admire that. And let me tell you, a lot of people love the admiration of other people. Jesus said at one stage, when you pray, don't even do it like these people who stands on the corners and pray this long, beautiful, they use the most equivalent words. And you look at them and you go, wow, what a prayer. But they stand on the corners of streets so that they can be seen. And this is what I say. You can see you do it and others see it and you laugh the admiration from them. But Jesus says, no, no, rather go away from people into your inner room and pray there to the Father. But people love the admiration. Oh, and I've heard it's, oh, he's such a big Christian. He's such a good Christian. Yeah? People love that admiration. And this is why they love to and enjoy to worship in vain. But also it makes you feel more superior than others who don't worship like you do. Isn't that so true? This is why people love to 
to worship false, to do false worship. Because it makes you feeling a little bit more superior than others who do not worship like you. I recall in New Zealand, I went to a church on invitation and it was one of these big churches. And as I enter into the church, they were busy with the worship. And I just leave it at this, that it was a hop, skip and jump church. Okay. So as I came in and took my place at the back of the gallery, because it's so big it was, everybody in the worship was hopping, 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 hopping. And around me, you know, everybody was hopping. Well, I didn't feel like hopping, but you know, it's, it's okay for me. And I looked to the side of me and there was a lady staring at me as if I'm doing something wrong because I was not hopping. And I, I felt unwelcome. I felt as if I did something wrong. But surely she must have felt more superior than me because she was hopping. And how dare I not worship like they worship? You see, this is how how ridiculous it can become. Take it back to our con context here. Um, Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands like our disciples wash their hands? Hey, John, why don't you hop like we hop? It makes you feel superior. And these men came from that superior position down on Jesus and his disciples. And this is why people even today love to worship false or do, to, to conduct in false worship or worship in vain. Now, I'll, I'll give you one more. It gives you a holy position amongst others who haven't seen like you see things. You know, I've had people over time come to me and say, ah, you know, we understand that you didn't see it yet because God haven't opened up your eyes to it yet. And I go, okay. I've got the word. God opened up my eye to the word. I understand when I read the word and the Holy Spirit is my teacher and I read the word and God is real to me through the word. What is this? What do I need to see? You see, it gives them a holy position on the word that they know more than what you know. And how are you so dumb that you can't see it? Jesus never acted in that way. In fact, when he talks about in Peter he says that we need to give an account to others with meekness and fear. Meekness and fear. But people enjoy false worship because it puts them in that holy position. It gives them a following. I've seen this. It gives them a following. They've got a set of rules which is important to them. They get one or two other people and they really push this down on them and say, wow, the Bible says this and they will pull scripture verses out of context and, and they will make, and, and look, listen, they are after the young sheep, the lambs. They come after the ones who just uh, were saved and are now learning and consuming the word of God. They will grab onto them and they will teach them some rules to follow and those people become their followers. And he gives them a holy position. Jesus never, never did that. And you and I ought not to do that either. See how deep this passage is, what Jesus is dealing with. But Jesus' response is great. He says to them, he says, these people honor me with, with their lips and not with their hearts. 
They are hypocrites. They are actors. And in vain they worshiping me. Uh, and then he says, they teach the doctrines of men rather than the word. And then in verse 8, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. He brings back right into this false worship, the word of God, the plumb line, the truth. He brings it right back into it. I hope you saw it when I read through it, but let me just open it up and show you. He's saying to these people directly, you have departed from the word. And I want to say to a lot of people today who is conducting in all of these things, you have departed from the word. And you are teaching things of men which has got no substance. It is like popcorn. It has got no substance. It's blown up. It is like candy floss, even better. Candy floss is this big buildup, but it's only a few drops of sugar. This is never intended. He says you've departed from the word of God. And so many people these days are departing from the word. And it's not something that happened quickly. It's not as if somebody just turned around and walked away. It's a gradual process that happened with these people since the days of Exodus. When God gave that to Aaron and his priestly sons to where they are now with Jesus. It gradually happened. Let me tell you, if somebody comes in with falsities and try to pull you away from the word of God, you will not go. But if they come in and gradually befriend you, spend time with you, lay a little bit of, of, of poison with the good stuff, you're not going to recognize it straight away. But gradually they pull you away from the word of God. Let me explain how Jesus said it to them. Firstly, he said to them, you lay aside the word for the traditions of men. He chose his words very carefully and precisely. He says, you're laying aside in verse 8, the commandments of God. You're laying aside the word. The word here for lay aside, the Greek word literally means you are sending away the word of God. It's like sending somebody away for a short trip. But they will come back. Um, another meaning is to let go or to give up. So he's saying to them, you are giving up the word of God. You are sending away the word of God. And then he contrasts that against the next passage that he says. He says, you hold. You see, on the one end, he says, you are sending away the word of God. But by sending that away, you are holding on to something else now. What are they holding on to? The word therefore hold on means you grab after or you cling on to. What are they clinging on to? The traditions of men. It's one of the, the most dangerous things that is flooding the church of God today. It is like a wildfire running without control. It's people sending the word of God out of churches. It is people, Christians, individually walking away. Well, now let me just say it according to that word. Sending away the word of God out of their lives. So that's the first thing that happens. Then Jesus says, in, 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 uh, further on in the verse, he says, then you reject the word of God. First you send it away, then you reject it. Listen to him. He says, all too well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your tradition. Now it's a little bit more serious. The first one is bad. I, I'm not saying that's not bad. You should never send the word of God away. Never. 
should always hold on to that. It always should be your plumb line. But now he says to them, you reject it. Straightforward, you reject the word of God. And, and the word rejection here means to do away with. Uh, it's a different word than the first word. It means to nullify or to refuse it. In other words, when that word comes back, you've sent it off in the first part. And when it comes back, now you refuse it. And now you go out of your way to nullify it. So clever, isn't it? The vials of the enemy. Satan sits behind everything. From day one, from the Genesis, he was against the deity of God and against the word of God. Didn't he come to Eve and say, did God say? He was against the word of God. And let me say, it feels to this preacher as if he's gaining a lot of ground because of the ignorance of preachers and of people. And you know what elevates this whole situation? When circumstances change around people, you can see it so clearly that people are grabbing onto every single little lie and they follow it instead of the word of God. And, and, and they send it away. He says, too well, you reject it. Now, look now what he do. He says, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep. And now he puts the word reject against the word keep. The word here for keep means to guard or to protect. And man, I've got a lot to say about this because I've seen it so many times. Once you start rejecting, nullifying the word of God, what do you now? You now protect the lie. They are now protecting traditions more than the Word of God. The Word of God means nothing to them now. The only thing that they will do now is they will grab snippets out of the Word of God to prove their lie, to defend their church, to defend their pastor. I've heard it so many times that, that when you speak to people and you bring the Word of God up against something, a tradition or a, or a rule or anything, they will start defending straight away the church and the pastor. Not the Word. Jude said we need to contend for the faith. And that's the Word. And this is what he do. This is what Jesus tells them. He says, now you come to me, instead of talking about the word of God, you come and talk to me about my disciples not washing their hands, doing your spiritual exercise. You are protecting your exercise. You are guarding your exercises, your, your rituals and your, your traditions. This is serious. And it's happening with us. And, and a lot of people don't even see it. And they misquote scripture verses to prove and to protect and to guard their false doctrines. I've seen so I've seen too many people move, move in the in over the last ten years, standing on the word of God and the promises of God. I've seen too many of those people move away and they're not where they ought to be with the word of God. And now when you speak to those very same people, they protect the lie and they are blinded by the lie. Let it be known that God intend for his word to go out and it will not come back void, but it will accomplish everything that it's purpose for. Now, let me just come. So the first thing, they lay aside the word and then they reject the word and then they make the word powerless. 
Look at verse 13, Mark 7, 13. Making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down and many such things you do. He says you nullify, you make the word of God of no effect. The word of God watered down has got no effect. People use the word of God now as a shield to propagate and you know what that word is propaganda propagate it out and to protect their false teachings i'm passionate about it you're right i'm absolutely passionate about it because i stand on the word of god and i want to stand on the word of god and i want preachers to stand on the word of god and i don't want you to follow other people i want you to follow the word of god what god says what jesus says is truth and it stands his word is true now Let's finish this morning because Jesus gives them now an example of what their futility has brought about. He gives them an example. We follow the narrative now in verse 9. In verse 9, he said to them, Mark 7 verse 9, he says, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. I've dealt with this. Now he gives them the example. For Moses said, by instruction of God, the man of God said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curse, uh, curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Ha! Oh, he hit home with this one. You're not going to believe this. He hit home. They talk about washing hands, a ceremony, an exercise, and they point fingers at Jesus' disciples. Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's talk about this one. Cups and defilement. Let's talk about mom and dad. Let's bring it home. He says, God said to Moses to say to you that um, you need to honor your father and your mother. Oh. And then he says, he who curses his father or mother, let him be put to death. Surely, no, Jesus, none of us do that, the Pharisees would say, uh, the scribes would say. But within the Misha, that little book that I was talking about, that tradition that came over, that set of rules within that same little book is the following. Listen now. But you say, he says, God said to Moses to say to the people on your father and mother. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban. Ah, that is a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things you do. Oh man, I love it. This is just the home run. He says, let's talk about mom and dad. He says, we need to honor mom and dad. Now in their tradition, children needed to look after their parents, financially support them, give them food, spiritually support them. That was a good tradition. Look, the, not all traditions is bad. But Paul talks about tradition. He says uh, in, in, in Corinthians, it's the traditions that we've got, we pass over to you. It's good tradition, the word of God. That was good. That's a good, it's a good act of God to pass over. Honor mom and dad, look after them. But then they changed it a bit because it was nice. And in the Misha, they had a tradition written in there. They said, but wait, if son comes to mom and dad and say to them, whatever I had to give you money or support, but if I call it Corbin, 
then I don't have to pay that to you anymore. I'm off. I'm off the hook. Because now, and that word carbon there means a gift to God, it means that whatever I'm just going to give you, I'm not going to give God. But get this, they don't even give it to God. Because, <laughs> you know, back in, it, in, in those days, it was some tithing, yes. In the New Testament, it is now uh, uh, gifts or uh, um, contributions. But, but in the Old Testament, it's tithing. I don't preach tithing in the New Testament. Uh, it's offerings in the New Testament. But while they were still under that law, that was still tithing. They had to still bring it to the... And this is why people go back to the prophets and say, you rob from the storehouses of God. You don't give to the storehouses so they can give to the priests to eat. So they didn't even do that. So here you go, you hypocrite. Your actor. You come here and you point fingers about... A, a, a spiritual exercise, a tradition of people not washing their hands, but yet you take a much more serious one like honor your father and your mother, which God gave directly to Moses to you, and you call carbon. You wrote that in your Misha, and people are operating it, and parents don't get on it anymore. And it was so severe back in the day, if they cursed their father and mother, they surely die. Now, you say it's okay. You change the rules. You change the law. And you make the word of God to no effect. This is why people love false worship. But Jesus don't love it. Because he says, you are far from me. You sing hallelujah songs through your mouth. <coughs> but you don't operate it in life. Wow, who would have thought this came out of, out of this passage? The traditions of men against the word of God. That's what he's oppos opposing here. The word of God and the traditions of men. And Jesus teaches them. He answered them, he says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy, you hypocrites? Now, I want to talk to you serious. I don't believe any one of you are hypocrites. I don't know your heart. But I want to seriously ask you to to call upon God, not to honor Him with your lip, but with your heart far from Him. Be serious with God. Be honest with God. Look, we all fail. I get that because Paul says we are still living in this body of sin. But here is the thing. We can still worship God in spirit and truth. In fact, let me uh, read it to you in John chapter 4, 22, when Jesus came to this lady at the well. They had a good conversation there. She was talking about a mountain. We worship on this mountain. You worship on that mountain. You see, it's all, it's all spiritual garbage. And Jesus said to her, the time is going to come when these worship on mountains is not going to work. But this is what's going to work. John 4.22, you worship what you do not know. We are doing a Bible study, a disciples of Bible study. On Wednesdays and the aim of that Bible study and the aim of my preaching is for you to know him I want you to know who you worship I want you to know who the real Jesus is I want you to know his word <coughs> I want you to know his spirit and I, I want you to know the father and in that and that's that's a very powerful powerful Bible study because it talks who God is who man is we're going to look at what sin is, who Jesus is. He says, you worship what you do not know. And a lot of people still worship who they do not know. We know what we worship. 
for salvation is of the Jews. He first came to the Jews, they rejected him, and then the Gentiles. But the hour is coming and is now. My dear friend, brother, sister, sir, madam, whatever you want to be called, the hour is now. For what? When true worshippers, you see, there's these hypocrites, the false worshippers, and they love to do false worship. And Jesus now contrasts, he says, the true worshippers will do what? They'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. He is looking for you to worship Him in that way. Spirit and truth. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. What have we learned today? We've learned exactly that. That God is looking for true worshippers. What have we also learned today? God is not interested in your spiritual exercise. I'm talking to you, yes. He's not interested in your spiritual exercise. He's not interested in your arguments. He's not interested in your cleverness. He's interested in one thing only, and that is your true worship in spirit and in truth. Spiritual exercise will get you nowhere. I pray the Lord bless you this week. May He keep you and, and stay safe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. It is powerful, it's sharper than to its sword, and it cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And Father, this is the part which I like in that verse. It is the discerner of the heart. And Father, I pray now that you will go with each one of our church family members, each one of them, Father. Strengthen them, encourage them. And Father, also for those who listen who's not part of our church, doesn't matter, we're part of the body of Christ. Bless everyone, Lord, in their hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.